Here we go. Folks, this is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All righty then, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing? I am well, I am well. You know what day it is, right? It's, uh, well, it's not Friday Eve. Oh, it's better than that. It's Friday. <laughs> it's definitely Friday. Always a good day. Always our favorite to record on. Um, so, thanks for tuning in. And we have a special guest for you today. His name is Eric Rind. He's the founder and CEO at Imagine BC. Eric, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and joining the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, we'll go ahead and jump in. Uh, one of the one of the ways we like to start our show is uh, to allow our guests to introduce themselves and uh, give us your backstory, where you came from, and how you became the founder and CEO of Imagine BC. Man, that could take some time. <laughs> I got a long backstory. <laughs> hey, we got it. <laughs> so, uh, I, interestingly enough, I, I spent almost twenty eight years in probably the most boring world of technology you can imagine. And that was the HR payroll benefits world. So I've been an entrepreneur in that space for, as I said, 28 years <laughs> and wrote a different way to do payroll, took on the giants like ADP and Paychecks. We we're a very boutique company. We were profitable, uh, you know, so the, the various things course of decades, I've employed anywhere from 20 to 80 people in the different companies that we've had. That company is still going. That company is the parent of Imagine BC. It's the funding source. So we use the profit from that company to fund Imagine BC at this point. We've taken no outside capital. So the way I got to Imagine BC, which is a dramatically different company, and how I got into the world and data privacy, and I really think of it as data control right now. We'll discuss the differentiation more later on that. But I got into it because I was actually introduced, I was out there trying to raise some money for the HR companies, and at a meeting where I was trying to raise money, I ended up talking to a guy who introduced me to blockchain technology. This was about three years ago. Back when, I can tell you, Bitcoin was like, you know, uh, maybe a thousand dollars. That's how long ago yeah. it was. So, and again, he introduced me to blockchain technology. Crypto is part of blockchain, but it's its own little world within blockchain. And over the course of the two days of the conference, he and I were having conversations about blockchain, and I left that conference thinking it was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's because I'm old. And I, I, all new ideas, I think, are stupid initially. <laughs> that being said... That's because they are. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, the guy who I was talking with, I didn't think was stupid. And I felt if he is so passionate about the game-changing nature of this technology, it's probably worth my time to spend, you know, figure out a little bit more about it. 
So I dove in and I started to read everything I could. And again, dismissing the crypto part of it. One day we'll all have digital currencies. That's inevitable. That's the march of time and progress. But blockchain technology, distributed networks, the security, the cryptographic nature of it. By the time I had finished about two, three months of reading and research, I was right where he was and said, this is game-changing technology. And because now I was excited about it and I'm a technologist at heart, I like to dig in and do, right? Okay, it's great. So how do I play with it? Well, I'm an, it's still an HR company. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, how does an HR company utilize blockchain technology? And it's really quite easy to think about it. We sit, an HR benefits payroll company sits on everybody's private information. We've got it all. Social security right. number, your bank information, HIPAA compliant benefit information, everything people are not supposed to have about you, we've got. And because of that, we have a single point of failure, and it's called our database. Mm. If some bad, you know, bad actor was ever able to break through our firewall, thank God they never have been able to, but we're able to, we'd be gone. We're not ADP. We can't buy people off, right? <laughs> that would be catastrophic. Somebody breaking into an HR payroll benefit system is catastrophic. Um, recently, right, uh, the uh, ultimate Kronos group, UKG, was just held for ransomware, and they were down for like a month. People, <laughs> how do you not, you don't get paid for a month? It's really bad stuff. So that single point of failure got me really interested because I started to think, well, you know, I don't really need that data to process payroll. I just need it very rarely to get people their money. So what if we took blockchain technology, implemented it inside our system in a self-service, and said, hey, folks, you take back ownership of that data. We don't even want it. We'll process you on an anonymous basis based on an identifier and when we need that information to file your W-2, to send the money to your bank account, we'll send you out a request. You say, hey, yeah, I'd like my money. So, yes, here's my banking information. There's one transaction. And lo and behold, we'll send it to you. I've now offloaded my single point of risk off to the user who's got it securely stored cryptographically on the blockchain. So I just thought this is the most brilliant thing in the world. So I convinced my board of directors to fund a little project about creating this prototype self-service HR module built on blockchain technology. We were about six months into that project, and we said to ourselves, this is pretty cool what we're building, but yeah. it, who, what we're really telling people here is they need to take back control of their personal data, right? And this is now two and a half years ago, three years ago. It wasn't in the news. Nobody cared. Everybody was giving Google everything you can imagine in Facebook, right? And they still are, but certainly back then it wasn't even, the Congress wasn't even talking about it, right? Cambridge Analytica right. Hadn't, hadn't even broken yet. So, you know, we were saying if we were going to convince people they need to take back control of their data, we need a better story than to create your W-2. <laughs> That's about as boring as you get. So we started to noodle around and said, well, what's the story? What, if, why is it important for somebody to take back their personal data? And it didn't take us too long to say, well, you know, Google and Facebook are making the largest fortunes known to mankind off of our data. Wouldn't it be nice if we start to earn a fair share of the use of our data, if we made the decisions over it, and when we did decide to share it, we were fairly compensated for the use of it. That sounds like a good story. And that is how we became 
we bridged from an HR company into Imagine BC. So Imagine BC sent down this road of saying, we need to help people take back control of their personal data, make sure they're fairly compensated for the use, and give them the control over when and when, how it's used. And now over a two and a half year journey of Imagine BC, we've further gone to what we are, and we really want to be, or we are going to be, a new media company. So Still, monetizing people's personal data is important, but we then hope that they will give them three choices for the use of that money that they earn inside our platform. Spend it on content within our platform. We'd love you to do that. Donate it to charities. We have a number of national charities we're partnered with. That would be wonderful. If you don't need the money your data is making, give it to somebody who does need it. Or three, take it down into the physical real world and spend it on groceries and electricity or whatever you'd like to. So... That's what Imagine DC is, a brand new, trusted media platform, member funded, but members funded not through their wallet, but through the money we actually create for them by the by creating opportunities for them to earn from their personal data. That's the backstory. That's a fascinating story. If I can, I'll jump right into how do you motivate folks to to take advantage of that? I mean, obviously, the, the financial incentive um, seems like uh, it seems like it might be enough, but it strikes me that a, a lot of your average consumers aren't they're not privacy aware enough that I, like is that enough? Is that enough of a driver? How do you how do you convince? Yeah, them? it's a great question. And to be honest, right now sitting here, the answer is you can't. Not here. Not in this country. <laughs> People don't get it. Yeah. They just don't get it now. I'll tell you how we're about to do it and we'll become big and we'll be able to come back here into the States because we've actually gone offshore outside our own borders where it's more important. I'll come to that in a second. But here, mm -hmm. inevitably, inevitably, right, because of a completely different set of technology, which is AI-driven robotics, right, machine learning and robotics, I like to say you can have two opinions about that technology. You can either be a Star Wars guy or you can be a Star Trek guy. Now, if you're a Star Trek guy, you're going to say, oh, new technology always creates new jobs. It always creates new jobs. So all those jobs that are going away, don't worry. New technology is going to create new jobs. Let me tell you something. It's not going to happen. Here's the reality. In 1980, General Motors was the most profitable company in the world. And their ratio of revenue to employees was 250000 to one. Wow. Right? So $250,000 of revenue for every employee. Facebook, which is by no means the most profitable company, certainly up there, but not the most profitable company, I recently read that their ratio is something like $25 million to one. They don't create jobs. They may create a few, but let's talk about it. If I have a self-driving truck, Right? What do I need three million Teamsters drivers for? Yeah. Where are they going? <laughs> Facebook's not hiring them, right? Mm -hmm. If I have a robot that can clean a hotel room and not give me COVID, the pandemic that has you know has created a different mindset about the acceptance of AI-driven robotics. So I have a robot that will clean my hotel room and won't infect me with COVID. I'm going to let that robot in. And now the SCI union, another 3 million strong. What are all those people going to do? Really scary stuff. Star Trek, 
No problem. Jobs will be created. You're kidding yourself. Star Wars? Jobs aren't going to be created. <laughs> Very different story. So, yeah, yeah. we better find new ways to make help people make money. And the biggest pot of unused money out there right now is advertising dollars being gobbled up by Google, Facebook, and everybody else. So the government kind of, they walk on the borderline of it, but not the way I like it. They talk about universal basic income, mm-hmm. right? Problem with universal basic income is the government thinks they got this flow of money coming in, which they're going to send out to everybody. But if everybody's out of work, where's the money coming from? <laughs> that was going to be my next question right. to you. I got to tell you. Right? It's, uh... Now, let's just add one more letter to UBI. And let's put a D in there and call it universal basic data income. We all deserve our fair share. Another good story I like to tell. Again, I'm old. So I'm old, which means my father, even older. My dad's... Bring on the stories. My my dad's 90 years old now. But what's interesting, if you know the show Mad Men, Mm -hmm. my dad is Mad Men. My dad was a Madison Avenue advertising executive. In fact, I think he was like the first Jewish guy hired by J. Walter Thompson back in, you know, 1969 or whatever it was. And eventually he... He owned his own advertising agency. And my dad, his specialty was media buying. So he figured out which platform was best to put an ad on. Should I use a billboard? Should I use a radio? Should I use television? And he's like, the best metrics he had back then were Nielsen ratings, right? 1,400 boxes. That was like golden data. Oh, my God. We've got these Nielsen ratings, right? Yeah, And those Nielsen people, they were modestly compensated. Not a lot, but modestly compensated. Now, let's fast forward to today. We are all Nielsen boxes. We are all spewing out data about ourselves 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And with 5G technology coming along, it's going to get <laughs> It's only going to get worse. As long as it's not crashing airplanes, Right. It's going to get worse because you can have so many more devices collecting so much more information about us thanks to 5G Mm -hmm. technology that now I start to think about the Sting song, every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be collecting data on you. (laughs) Right? So when people argue, what's my data worth? The answer to that is way more than you think. Way more than you think. Good look, you know, a little example. It's hard to really pin down what is a person's personal data worth. And tomorrow it'll be worth more than today because we'll find new ways to use it and it'll have greater value. Mm-hmm. But just in, you know, simply enough, mathematics, true story, right? 23andMe collected everybody's DNA data, right? I think they had something, you know, that a few million people, users, who <laughs> gladly gave away their DNA data to find out that they were probably what they knew they were. Forget their business model. They came along and sold that data on a non-exclusive basis to GlaxoSmithKline for $400 million. If you did the math on that, divided number of users at the time into $400 million, that came out to $1,000 a person. $1,000 a person who sent the kid in. I think everybody would have liked a little $1,000 check, wouldn't you? Of course. Now, that's one example of non-exclusive basis of value of data. So 
when you start to combine all these things together, it's we better make sure people start making money from their data. So, Gabe, long, long answer is today it's really hard, but people better open their eyes because, you know, a, a, a catastrophic change is coming because of robotics. And you can't stop it. There's too much money being put into it. So very creative people need to find new ways to make have people earn money, earn money. Government can't be giving it to them. There's nothing to give. That tree's it, you know, <laughs> we're shaking that tree dry. Now, the other part of it is, so imagine we see it. It's a tough sell. We've learned it. it's a tough sell here in the States. We've, we've lucked into a couple of interesting opportunities overseas. And what it really comes down to is this, is people will engage with our model. And our model is watch some ads, fill in some surveys, earn some money, not because you want to earn the money, but because you want to use the money to get something of value to you. That's the key, right? There's something else on the platform that the platform is offering that is of real value to me. And if I don't have to go into my wallet to get that, that's really cool. So will I spend, you know, two minutes watching a couple of ads to earn the money I need to get this thing of great value? And the answer to that is yes, in a heartbeat, right? That's human nature. So one of our opportunities overseas, and because I can't give you the names yet, but is with a very large retailer in in Africa. And that retailer sells these things, right? And more importantly, they make a commission from the minutes sold on these things, right? So they sell you a handset, and then whatever telecom you're using, they make a commission from the minutes that you buy and outside this country, people don't buy time. They don't buy their airtime by the by a monthly contract. They literally pay for it minute by minute. So there's this desperate need to buy more minutes. So the lowest ends of the population run out of money, and they have to wait till the next check comes in to be able to go back in and buy some more minutes. So the, here's the value prop. What if now I can share my data, you have that data used to target ads at me, when I watch those ads, the money I earn from watching those ads, I could then use to buy more airtime. Yeah. <laughs> now we have a winning proposition. That would be good. Right? That's what we're doing. That's one way we're doing it. And that will bring on hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users because this retailer is so large and the sheer volume of business they do. And our app will be right on the SIM card of every phone. And the value prop is, I spend a couple of minutes each day watching some ads, and tomorrow I've got more airtime minutes, and I could, you know, I don't know, spend more time on TikTok. What do I? I don't know. Whatever you want to do with it, right? <laughs> that's yeah. value, right? So that's our model. So that opportunity is very, very lucrative for us. We have a similar opportunity with a group out of the UK. Same concept, but now it brings the content aspect of our app in because they're a They've got an interesting model. They're interested, they're a for-profit business that's interested in funding impact project companies around the globe who are doing work consistent with the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goal. So if you're working on, you know, water reclamation or plastics recovery, right, those types of projects anywhere on the globe, this company is interested in helping you fund those and typically... It's been NGOs who do that. They think the NGO model is horrible. They think it's corrupt. So they're a for-profit company to do it. And they've spent years 
building up relationships with consumer ecosystems, advertising ecosystems, and the these project ecosystems. And we're the platform that draws them all together. So it's still value prop. Now, they plan to charge a $5 a month subscription to the content that they put on the app, but they're also going to bring enough advertising onto the app such that I'll be able to earn the $5 over the course of the month by watching a couple of ads a day. They'll then take that with their share of that $5 and use it to fund these impact projects after they take their fair you know, profit off of that. And then they'll in turn show you the members who are paying the $5 exactly how that money is being used through the content they're providing. So the value prop is I want to help fund these goals. I don't have to go into my wallet to do it. I do it by watching two, three ads a day. Again, most likely you're going to say yes to do that. So there we have our content model in place. So those two things are very strong for us in terms of getting our model proven and also cash flowing and profitable. Then we take that and come back to the United States. And when we come back here, same concept. I will do something. I will watch ads. I will share my data. I will make money from it, take the actions to make money from it. If there's something of value I want from that. And we'll go to, you know, good content providers and we'll pay them to produce content on our platform and start to do it exclusively and go out to their communities and say, we're on this platform now. You know, it costs $2 a month, but you know, you're not going to have to go in your wallet to pay the $2 a month. Watch two ads. Now, keep in mind that the ads are not in the content. They're completely separate. And the user has a choice to, to watch them or not. They can always go to the wallet and spend $2. But we will, we will come into more Netflixy in that we will pay for the content on our app to get access to the content provider's user base. Who, and there's the value prop. I want to listen to Cameron and Gabe's podcast. Cameron and Gabe are charging a buck a month for that. I don't have to go in my wallet to earn a buck a month. I've got to watch you know three ads a month, <laughs> right? No, no brainer. It's all the same app, right? So I watch three ads, the buck, yeah. Gabe and Cameron, their buck, and everybody's happy. And frankly, everybody is. In that model, the only people who are not happy are Facebook and Google. Mm. So again, very long answer, Gabe. Re- really hard, but it's we lucked into ways to prove our model works because there's that value prop is there. First offshore and then coming back to the United States. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, that's uh, that that that's a significant challenge you're trying to tackle. So l- l- let me ask you, big world view, five ten years from now, what what's what's the ultimate mission of the organization? What do you hope to change? <laughs> well, when I started it, what I hoped to change was push the iceberg, right, and get people to understand how important it is to take back control. And I, you know, I use the word control versus privacy, and I believe in privacy. And let's let's go through. It. For me, what's the difference? The difference is I'm never getting my data back. My fingerprints, my fingerprints, were hacked out of the Office of Personnel Management about 15 years wow. ago. I remember. They're out there. I in fact got a letter from the United States government. It's classic. I got a letter from the United States government that says, if I'm ever charged with a crime where my fingerprints are evidence, this is my get-out-of-jail-free card. Right? uh, I'm never getting those back. (laughs) I'm never getting my Social Security number back. Privacy is gone. 
Best I can hope for is I can get control of my data and I can start being allowed to make decisions over my data. Now, my grandsons, well, the ones that are born are probably lost already. They have their social security numbers. They've probably already been hacked, right? The one that's about to be born, it would be wonderful if the one that's about to be born, instead of his social security number being published by the government someplace where it could be hacked, he was born onto the blockchain, right? Now, first his family owns his private key, and when he becomes 18 years old, he takes over his private key. And now, your private information is your cryptographic nature, right? You're not going to hack the blockchain, blah, blah, blah. We can debate that all day long. But it's really, 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 really hard to hack a blockchain. You can hack services around the blockchain, but the chain itself, no. So that's privacy, right? And I am an absolute proponent of that. So the answer to your question, Gabe, is I want to use the Magic VC to push us to that. Now, that's going to require government cooperation. They shouldn't be running it, but they got to be cooperating it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You need government efforts to say, without your social, you know, hospitals, instead of publishing a birth certificate, you're putting it onto the, you know, here's how you get it on the blockchain, and it's controlled by the individual. Can't be hacked away. So you need government cooperation. We'll do everything in our power to push us to that world of privacy because it's absolutely necessary. Cameron. Yeah. Um, I have lots of questions, but uh, let's start with this one. What what makes you so passionate about privacy in general? <laughs> I just mentioned, well, it was one when I started and now it's going to be three. My grandchildren. I'm 60 years old. My, you know, I don't worry about my life anymore. <laughs> I'm in the end game. And, and I, I tell people, your life goes through different, different se- sections, right? First, when you close your eyes at bed, and you're, you're single and you're young, you're thinking about your future. Then you, you, meet, you meet your partner and you, you start to share a life together and you close your eyes at night and go to bed and you're thinking about your shared life together. And then along come kitties. <laughs> and now you close your eyes and you start to think about what their futures would be like. Well, then mm-hmm. came my grandchildren. And when I closed my eyes at night and wondered the future they were, remember, I'm a Star Wars guy. It's pretty bleak. And that's what make, gets me up every morning. I can't even imagine the world my grandchildren are going to be living in if we don't get control of the chaos that's out there. Yeah, someone has to try to do it. Right. And you got you to gotta yell it from the top of your lungs. Whether I'm successful or not, hopefully if you get enough people yelling about it, it'll eventually become. And frankly, there's a big change. In three years, at least it's out there. People are talking about it. Three years ago, it wasn't even being discussed. A little concerned about how involved government will be in it. They need to be a, an active partner. I don't want them to go too far. And I certainly, you know, what scares me is big tech is all over the halls of Congress. And we don't want mm-hmm. them passing so-called privacy legislation that is just what big tech wants it to be. That's not privacy legislation. So, yeah, the yeah, passion is the future generation. And it, you know, I love to say it's everybody. But let's, it, it's my grandchildren, but everybody has grandchildren, yeah. so it's everybody. No, I th- that's a great point because, I mean, I think all of us want a better future for the younger generation because, I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Talking about technology and robotics, um, just going back on that topic when you brought it up, I thought about, you know, let's think about the world and what we live in right now and VR 
and how Meta is trying to who? they're sorry, creating who, 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 who's doing what? Well, well, Facebook, but oh, uh, I, I I knew that was coming, but <laughs> but Meta is trying to create a universe for VR and people are going to get sucked into it because I think because the younger generation is getting used to living behind technology even more so in the last 2 years and and for someone, would you rather be like if you don't like your life and you can be who you want to be to other people in that same realm? Why wouldn't you want to do that? That's what's really scary to it think is about. Scary. And the paradox is, is that you're living under false pretenses, and and people in the their real lives are depressed. And we're still organic human beings. We we don't live in the middle. You might try to hide in there. But you don't live in there. You still breathe oxygen. You still have to eat food. You still have to sleep at night. And if you're doing that depressed, you got a big problem, right? Interestingly, that, those are the two biggest things. Two biggest things, Eric. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, privacy and and uh, mental health is going to be the two biggest things yeah. for our younger generation for this, sure. This was eye opening to me. Remember the documentary that came out on Netflix a while back called The Social Dilemma? I think it was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Of course. I watched that and then I had to watch it again because I watched it through once and I said something in here really disturbed me. I hadn't figured it out yet. And I kind of, I know what they do, right? But it's still, something was gnawing at me that I was listening and I hadn't, so I watched it again. By the time I finished watching it, I had realized it. And what I realized was this. Again, I'm 60 years old. I lived in a world, in fact, I lived, which means I was married I was a professional before Google ever existed, before Facebook and Google <laughs> existed. I was already on course setting my career, right? I was becoming a full-fledged adult. If you look at Eric Rind as a 20, 24-year-old, and you look at Eric Rind as a 60-year-old, big differences. Many similarities, but also many differences. When I was a 20-year-old, I ate meat and potatoes. You put Mexican food in front of me, I say, ah, nope, <laughs> not going to eat that stuff. Now, I'll, every type of food, I love it, right? I was a moderate right-leaning Republican as a young man, and I'm a moderate left-leaning Democrat. How many people would say that today? And that's what scared me about the social dilemma. Facebook and Google, and this is what the documentary is saying, right? Because they went public and they had to make money, right, as a public company, right, they went to the advertising dollar. So to get you hooked, they feed you content that they know you like. So mm -hmm. a 20-year-old in the Google world will only be fed stories about meat and potato and Republicans. They won't even, they won't know Mexican food exists or they'll think it's evil food, <laughs> right? That's what the social right. dilemma was saying. And I was thinking to myself, that is really scary. Because it's not allowing people, they, in their endeavor to gain revenue and to, to honestly meet their fiduciary responsibility, right, for their shareholders, are really messing up society. <laughs> and they're not allowing people to explore and grow. Now, contrast that to our model. Our model has advertising and it has content, but they are not connected. They're not embedded. So what we do is, yes, we'll put ads that are relevant to you because you don't want to see an ad that's not relevant to you. You'll decide if you want it, but the content won't have any ads in it. 
And on the content side, therefore, we don't have to say, give you a steady stream of stuff you like. On the content side, we get to say, explore, check this out. You might find it, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not within the little bubble we want you to stay in so we can keep feeding you more advertising. You're coming to the advertising to earn the money separately to get the content you're interested in. And we're encouraging you on the content side to explore. Monstrous differentiation between what we're trying to do and what Google and Facebook try to do. That's fascinating. Um, Just to think about. This kind of brings me to my next thought. And it's something that we do like to ask a lot of our guests. I just want to get your opinion on what you would, what the first thing you think of when, when you hear this and uh, how you would implement or what, what you would implement. But let's say when, um, I guess we could just say that you're trying to add it right now for imagine. Um, so let's say you have a hundred dollar budget, um, to use on data security and privacy. What do you think, where would you start? Where would you put that hundred dollars for the company to, for security and privacy uh, it, it all depends on what program. type of company I'm on, right? A, a company I am. So think of it. I, I've given you two ways. I was an HR company and now I'm a media company. And we would have used that. We would, it always has to go to blockchain. If, if the data is in a, in a centralized, non-distributed network, then you've got a big target. And I got to tell you, if a bad actor wants to get to you, they're going to get to you. The biggest companies in the world, the governments in the world, mm-hmm. can't stop them coming in. So forget it. <laughs> There's no such thing. It's, it's the question as to how many times and how often. Correct. So it always comes to blockchain. So I have to take that hundred dollars and say, how am I going? Well, what blockchain am I going to use, and how am I going to implement it in my business to provide the value that security will give me? Whether it's securing the data so I don't get a business, or providing my users, you know. That, that's based on my business, but it begins with blockchain. I have to learn how to use it. I have to learn what it is, and I have to learn how to use it because it's the only solution to the future. And right, people, oh, quantum computing will break will break blockchain. Well, you know, quantum computing will keep blockchain equal. It's that's not, not even playing field. Quantum computing will only help the bad guys. It won't help the good guys. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's just naysaying. So you got to start. There. Yeah. Get get the data out of centralized databases. Get it out of people who are going to use it for their own and get it back to the people. As a company, figure out how to use blockchain that best serves your business and your client. So $100 is tough. I mean, it's not, it's like, I, I buy a good book on blockchain. <laughs> What's your number one caution about blockchain, though? Um, because it, needless to say, it's... It equally has been one of those technologies looking for a problem versus problem, you know, where you can apply the technology. And that's not to say there are no valid problems to apply the technology to. It just feels as though it's currently imbalanced, that there's there's more blockchain trying to find the problem than there are problems try, trying to be solved with blockchain. Oh, that, that's very true. I, 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 in fact, Bill, Bill Bronner, who's listening in here right now, he took me to a UN conference about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And that was a perfect example of what you're saying, Gabe. Everybody who came up there was saying, you know, blockchain is a hammer and therefore everything looks like a nail, right? <laughs> well, that's not true. Everything's not a nail. That being said, right. in a technical world, when you're talking about using the transmission of data, yeah, 
I mean, if you're in the physical world and you're digging holes or planting poles, yeah, probably not. That's going to be robots doing that anyway. But if your business is in the world of transmission of data or money, then you are, you better be fine. You know, you should be looking into blockchain. That, that you are a nail and a hammer can hit that. And if you do a better job of it. Right, right, right. I mean, a doctor, yeah, patient medical records, but a surgeon themselves? No, <laughs> right? I don't know, blockchain in medical school? I don't think so. Lawyers? My wife's a lawyer. She tells me she'll never be replaced by the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. Where where do you see data security? This is a two-part question. Where do you see data security and privacy heading in the next several years? And the second question is, where would you like it to go? I, I hope they'll be the same, but... I definitely, I definitely believe that the the ball has started down the hill, so the government will pass something in this country that looks something like GDPR. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think GDPR is is perfect. I think it's a it's, it's it was a good first step. I think ours will be a more watered down version of that. I think it is important though that the, this is kind of rare for me to say, but. It is important that the federal government do this and not state governments in our states passing their own versions of GDPR. And again, that's a nightmare. From a business point of view, to have to worry about the regulations of 50 different states regarding privacy is, is too high a cost for me. I think of that back in the old browser. Especially day. for companies that, yeah, especially for companies that actually do business in most all states because exactly. then they have to worry about all of them. And if you're, if you're a data company, right. you're doing business in all 50 states. You can, right? So, yes. So, there has to be federal legislation. I think there will be federal legislation. I think it'll be better than what we have today, which is nothing. I don't think it'll be as strong as GDPR because I think big tech is too powerful and won't allow anything as strong as GDPR at this point. Um, that's where I think we're heading. I think, you know, government doesn't move quickly. So, I think we just said the next five years. Where would I like it? True. Where I like this to be? I'd like this to be beyond GDPR, and this might be state. Right? States have to start saying that we own our data. Therefore, my birth certificate is owned by me. My social security number is owned by me. I should have the I, my my parents initially as my guardians, and then when I'm of age, I should be the only one who has access to that data. Well, what technology solves that problem? Today? I'm not here, you know, to pump, but I don't see a I don't see a way around it without using one, some blockchain, right? Pick your blockchain, right? Cardano, Ethereum, whatever. But uh, you, you're going to have to use that technology to solve this problem. You have to use a distributed, secure network. I'd rather us be there, but, you know, not going to happen. Unless companies start making a lot of money and can equal the lobbying effort. That's fair. Do you feel like the last few years with the pandemic, has it made things more difficult um, with this new company being kind of in the middle of it at the beginning of of changing from obviously HR company to a, uh, um, a media company? At first, we really thought the pandemic, and I hate to say this because the pandemic is horrible, right? right? But from our business point sure. of view, from our business point of view, we thought it was actually going to be really good because all of these entertainers who were making money being on the road were go- 
those opportunities were gone. So they all of a sudden started to have to look for new ways to make money. That sounds like something I just said earlier, right? Right. So we thought they would get it and they would clamor. And and a lot of them did, right? They didn't come to our platform, but they went to Patreon and, and those type of things. And those platforms, the problem, the limitation with those platforms, nothing wrong with Patreon except this, is that I have to go to my wallet. <laughs> you want me to spend money for my wallet. I don't have that much money. Government keeps spending the money mm-hmm. in my wallet. <laughs> the money in my wallet's going down, and you now want me to spend money in my wallet. On your, you know, but, but we really thought it would be help because yep. we'd get these entertainers to understand the value of their IP. And I, it has done that. There's no question. We, when we speak to people these days, they understand it better than they did pre-pandemic. So they're more acceptable to what we're doing. When we're, we're big and we have lots of eyeballs, I think we'll, we'll be able to get them on. We'll be able to help them make a lot more money than these other platforms. But it has helped us in the sense that that part of the community, of our community, understands the value of what their intellectual properties were. You can't be giving your stuff away on YouTube for free when you can't go out and play mm-hmm. a gig to make your, your bread, right? You now got to charge for what you have out there in the digital world. That's, that's you know, the, that's the Teamster driver not being able to run the truck anymore. Yeah, I will say that I feel like it is a very smart business plan around, like, getting money for putting the data in the users, putting, giving it back to them for the ownership and allowing them to charge for it is very smart. What, I mean, what do you fear as the biggest, what do you fear as the biggest threat to, because I I don't mean to kind of bounce around here. I'm I'm just thinking um, that, this is probably the best way to get people that aren't into their privacy to get actually interested in it by making money on it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me, especially for the people that aren't in our world who are into privacy and security. It's funny because a lot of those people don't care. If I was able to individually talk to every, every citizen in the United States, 350 million of them at the end of that, I would have them all convinced how important this is. My fear is that you can't do that, right? And there are much louder voices telling you right. that what, what, what I'm saying, what you guys believe and your program is about, is not that important. My fear is that their voices will win out. That is my fear. And, and that's, a, that's the fear for my grandchildren. Because if that side wins out, then my grandchildren are in for a very bleak, they're in for a very bleak future. I mean, what are they going to do with their life? where the job's going to be. It's going to be the one, if you're not in the 1%, you're hosed. You're hosed. You're going to be living on government scraps. I don't see, Right. I hate to be a a defeatist, but that just seems like the projection we're on. I'm a, a, you know, as I said, I'm a left-leaning. I don't think you're far off. I'm left-leaning these days. I'm, you know, socially oriented. I'm, you know, but I'm still a capitalist at heart. And we have to be given the freedom to, to earn, to create, and it's going to be bleak. How are you going to do that? I mean, how are you going to afford to go to college? <laughs> you just, I don't know. It's just right, right, right. We, the model, I, the model. I, I, has that's to a change. good point because. Well, think about it. Like, what's that? What's the thing where you know you you get approved as a as a young you know 
20, 18 year old, whatever, you get approved for a hundred thousand dollar loan for school, but you can't get approved for a twenty thousand dollar loan for a house or whatever. Right. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Right. Oh, and even, and even better, it makes no sense. Loan. You're approved for a hundred thousand dollar loan for school, but you're not going to guarantee the two hundred thousand dollar year job to pay it off. <laughs> so, exactly. I mean, right, right, right. right. The, yeah. You, well, you, that that obviously, I think, was on purpose. <laughs> the, the, the Google model and the Facebook model, and Facebook can call themselves whatever they want, but they're not changing their business model. I mean, Google has other businesses, so you, you cut them that, but still, the you know the majority of the revenue comes from advertising, and one hundred percent of Facebook's revenue comes from advertising. Unless they're willing to share that, which they're not going to be, because then their stock takes a major hit, right? Nothing's going to change. They can call themselves anything they want. They still have to do whatever they have to do to get you consuming ads on their platform. That's. Which is why it's even more important that we instill privacy into our school systems. Yes. To teach younger kids how important it is because with a company like Meta, who is going to take advantage of those those kids and those younger teens and whatever, who and even adults. Taking advantage of, not will. Is, yeah, is. Because, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That, that that needs to be, ugh, that's, that's be huge. Because you could, as sure as I'm sitting here, Meadow, I'm sure, will start providing all this stuff to the school for free. Teach them in the metaverse, right? It's crack cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're getting them hooked. Yeah, right. it's true. We won't advertise alcohol to children. It's scary. But my God, we're going to allow them to learn inside of Meta? Bad. (laughs) Bad. Yeah, that's Let's scary. It really is. And again, I'm not scared for myself because I'm, you know, I, I'm in the bottom third of my life, <laughs> but I am very scared for my grandchildren. Yeah, you're you're just kind of like whatever, man. You guys can have my underwear. I don't care, <laughs> but not my not my grandchildren. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm the tail end of the baby boom, right? I'm, <laughs> we're on our way out, but so we don't have to worry about it. But. <laughs> But, you know, millennials, millennials, and certainly the kids millennials are having, they, they better, they better smarten up. There was a great, I, I can't believe I didn't say yeah. this. I can't believe I didn't say this because I should have, because I quote it all the time. But I read an article a while back. It was a brilliant little op-ed piece. And what the author wrote was something like this. He basically took a day through the life of a millennial. So waking up all the way to going to bed and throughout the day, the author is saying, I start by using this and it's some new high tech thing. And then I order my Uber and then, you know, I get dinner through DoorDash <laughs> and I look through a new job through LinkedIn or, you know, just one tech company after another. And he finishes it off by going, and by the time I've tucked myself into my Betty Bed bed, I have interacted with companies that have lost the collective $87 billion this year or something to that effect. And there, in effect, is a major problem that I, I call it the Amazon problem. And nothing wrong, and Amazon is an amazing service, right? But let's face it, they lost money for decades until they control the market, and now they don't lose any money because they control the advertising, and AWS mm-hmm. makes a lot of money, right? But that's the, that's the Amazon model. Don't worry about making money. Just keep losing money. And subsidizing lifestyle until you have these people hooked. 
That sounds like a cocaine dealer. Little free taste. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I grew up in the '60s and '70s, right? I mean, that sounds like a free taste to me. <laughs> scares the crap out of me. Truth. That's scary. Yeah. Um. Well, Eric, do you have uh, any before we go to our last segment? Do you have any anything else that you wanted to bring up uh, or leave our listeners with? That we didn't uh, talk about? Obviously, people who listen to your show are interested in this. I would say it's very hard, I know, because even I don't do it a lot. But you have to be active in this world. Before I got involved with Imagine BC, I sat around and I bitched on my couch. (laughs) And my wife never listens to me anyway, so I was basically bitching through the air. You you can't do that. You have to bitch (laughs) everybody you can speak to. And when they tell you, shut up, don't shut up. You have to keep telling them how important this is. You just can't allow yourself to be silenced on the importance of this topic because there's too many interconnected parts. But as you already stated, Cameron and Gabe, you have too, is that it roots to our data and our privacy. We have to, we have to have belief and faith in it. And if we don't, our society really starts to crumble. So to your listeners, yep. yeah. they'll, don't, continue, don't to keep, they'll continue to control and walk over us. Yeah. Every time somebody tells you it's not that important, keep screaming at them louder. Tell them they're, you know, don't tell them they're stupid, but tell them you got to learn more. You got to really think about this. <laughs> For the That's sake awesome. of my grandchildren, please. Well, appreciate the, the passion behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have the passion. If you have, if you're passionate about something, especially in this realm, I mean, you're absolutely right. You have to just keep pushing it on everyone, and uh, until it, until there's a change. Yeah, and, and just like is, anything else. And what's mind-boggling to me is that I don't understand how everybody can't be passionate about this. The right to privacy is almost like a foundation of our republic, right? And it's being, you know, it's being eroded, so. eroded, and. If it goes the way it's going, you know, I have tremendous respect for China, but their form of government is not for me. <laughs> I live here in America. I like the freedoms we're supposed to live under. I don't want the Chinese government in my life. I don't want the American government in my life. And I certainly don't want Facebook and Google in my life. Truth. True words have never been spoken. <laughs> you heard it here on uh, Privacy Please. That's right. Well, Eric, let, let's let's tur- let's spin things around a little bit and uh, let's let's learn a little bit more about you before we we wrap things up um, and uh, have some fun questions here. This is our. It's funny enough. This is Privacy Please, but these are our deep dark secrets. Uh, we're not going to get too deep and dark um, in your realm, but uh, feel free to answer any way you'd like. Sure. Um, so we'll start off with this since it came up earlier um, about Star Star Wars. What What's your favorite Star Wars movie? And if you could, if you could actually create your own Star Wars universe or movie, who would you play, and what actor would play you? Well, the, the first because it was the first, and right, and I actually stood online, and it was like nineteen seventy six, right. I was 15 years old, <laughs> so I was there. I was there for the first movie, right? It was like the second blockbuster. I think Jaws was the first, and so was the, the first is my favorite. It was just, you, you had to be there to say, oh, my God, this is so different. And it looks so stupid now, right? Yeah. The quality of the effects look dumb, <laughs> but 
it's it's like night and day to what movies were to what Star Wars was. So there's no there's no question the, the first one was sure. Unfortunately, the second, the third, they kind of make the effects better. You said oh the cool, but but you were never going to have that leap that you had from night to day on the on the the, yeah. the effects. The character that's interesting. I had never really thought about that a lot. Give just give me a second. Um, I, I guess today I, I feel almost like an Obi Wan. <laughs> I'm old. Nobody really. Gives, okay. The young people don't really give a crap about what I'm saying, but I feel what I'm saying is really important. <laughs> so back then, probably you know, I probably would have wanted to look, look for somebody, but these days I think I'm Obi Wan. <laughs> okay. And what what famous actor would play you? What famous actor would play me? Well, for for a long time, people always said I looked like Christopher Reeve, but unfortunately, he passed away. Um, I, I never saw the resemblance, but every I can't tell how many people tell me that. So I'd say Christopher Reeve <laughs> if he was alive. Okay, there you go. Yeah, there super, you go. Super Which, by the way, uh, what, what do you think about? Um... Oh yeah, um, I'm actually a huge fan. I, I was never huge into star wars like a lot of people i i I, uh i was born in the 80s um and i i just never got into it um i did like the remakes of the new star trek movies and then i uh, actually love the mandalorian series on disney i thought that was really really well done because i like john favreau um but what'd you think about mandalorian and now they have the bofet that just came out too i I, I haven't watched to be honest i haven't watched it if you ever get a chance I think you'll like it. It's really good. Yeah, I kind of. It's. I, I mean, it's. It definitely. Sci-fi. I think it's better than the the movies, but. Yeah, it, recently I don't watch a lot of sci-fi. They're genius, though. Uh, oh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, I I think it's funny. TV shows now are bigger than movies. It's like, you know, instead of making a movie, let's just make a TV show with ten episodes, an hour each, <laughs> and people can just binge watch them and watch a ten-hour movie. <laughs> the sci-fi I watched that I absolutely adored was Black Mirror. <laughs> I, oh yeah! I thought every that can be kind of scary though. Was great. I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah, that was an interesting show. Um, so I'm curious, what's your biggest pet peeve? Well, there's a lot of them. <laughs> what, what really grinds your gears these, these days? I can tell you, the press grinds my gears. They're all, they're <laughs> the, the the press. Known as the fourth estate, right? Our government is based on three branches: the judiciary, the executive, and the legislature. The press is the, unco- the not mentioned in the Constitution, other than the right of free press, is an incredibly important fourth estate. They have, they have lost the plot. They have no idea. They're they're serving masters who have no interest in the people who need to be protected. So there is no question. You can ask my wife every night. I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the stupidest headline. This article is so ridiculous. <laughs> and that's both sides. I, oh, know, yeah. It's it's just... it's just. Oh, they both have an agenda. It's, yeah, it's aimed yeah, to, to persuade you. Yeah, it, it's not... Yeah, and that's it's, the thing. It's aimed to persuade where it should be aimed to inform and educate to allow you to make a decision. Mm-hmm. It's our republic. We should be given both sides understand both sides, and then we're going to choose the side we believe that best fits. 
That's they are so off the right. rails. That is without a doubt my biggest pet peeve. Yeah, that's fair. That is so fair. Um, how would you describe the color yellow to a blind person? Wow. <laughs> always been blind? <laughs> so yeah, never yeah always been blind. Yellow. Yeah. Well, well, yellow is such a radiant, happy color, right? That if you were going to, you know, blind people still have, you know, the same emotions we do. So if you're going to describe yellow is, mm-hmm. is, is, is happiness, radiance. If you're waking up and feeling good, you're in a yellow mood, right? If you're waking up and feeling bad, you're not in a yellow mood. So yellow is an uplifting color. That, I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. I'll take that. I would say if, uh, if they were blind, if they became blind and they, used to be, you know, be able to see, I would, I would describe, because <laughs> yellow could also mean speed up and get past the, uh, the light before it turns red. <laughs> your name is Ray. Yes. I've already Ray- talked that to my three-year-old grandson. <laughs> yellow is still very, very fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. I like your answer. Um, <clears throat> if you could choose one superpower, what would it be? And why? What superpower? What would you do why? Uh, if you think of a quick number right away, I would, I would definitely not want to know what people are thinking. That's a disaster. <laughs> no. I would, I would not We've all seen X-ray. what women want. We don't want that. I would not want x-ray vision, and I would not want, you know, super hearing, because, again, nothing good's going to happen from that. Um, omniscience, not really wanting to know my future either. Takes away the fun of life. Strength. I think strength's a good one. But, you know, I think that doesn't, okay. take, doesn't take away from future quality of life. And if used properly, it could be very helpful. So, incredible strength. I'll take that. That's the first one we've gotten with that answer, actually. Funny. Um... I liked how you uh, you kind of went through the process of uh, kind of figuring out and the consequences of which um, superpower that you would have and how it would affect you. So that's pretty neat. Well, you know how I got there? Um, <laughs> when I was a young man, I started working at Price Waterhouse. Everybody, you never knew what anybody was making, but you always wanted to know what people were making, right? To compare it to what you were making, because you know everybody can be making a different amount of money. And when you found out where people were making, if you found out you were making less, it made you feel like crap. And if you found out you were making more, you only felt good for like a split second. So I realized I really don't want to know. And that really means I don't want to know. I just, there's not enough happiness yeah. in knowing the future. <laughs> and that's how, that's the same logic and reasoning I just went through with superpower. I, anything that theoretically gives me a chance to see the future, I don't think is a good thing. The fun of life is what's going to happen. I like that. What has, uh, what's been your go-to snack for the last couple of years? Because I'm sure you've been at home more often. (laughs) Uh, My go-to snack for the last couple of years, because I've been a little bit more health conscious, I've gotten away from the sweets. So I, 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 
kind of pounds down on cashew nuts. Thankfully, I don't have a nut out. Hey, those are good. <laughs> um, and what's your favorite, uh, what's your go-to drink? These, these days, it's um, water. Heavy on water, really. I say, uh, when in doubt, water is the best potion for any occasion. Yeah. And it's, it's not a plug. You don't want to be dehydrated. <laughs> I have a lot of bottled waters. Evian, for me, is the one that just tastes so It tastes great. Cold Evian is awesome. Maybe, and maybe that's it's, a, it's tied to a memory. Right. The first time I had it was in Paris on my honeymoon with my wife. So I have all these good memories. Mm-hmm. Just, that makes sense. All right. Well, this, this episode is brought to you by Evian. <laughs> we'll go ahead and reach out to them and see if we can we can get a sponsorship there <laughs> um, no but Eric uh, again thank you so much for, for coming on the show and for <clears throat> telling us your story and, and about your company I think it's a really really neat idea um, I'm really curious to, to see how your journey uh, continues and I think uh, it's it's fascinating really um, so uh, thank you for what you're trying to do and and uh, you know, thank God and, and congratulations about your, your uh, grandchildren. And thank you. and I know that's got to be an exciting time in your life. Um, and uh, again, just thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And more importantly, thank you, you and you, Cameron, you and Gabe, you guys have, a, you guys have an audience. So as we've already stated, it's really important that we keep speaking about this. You're, you're on the front lines thank of this you. fight. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, uh, you have a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, weekend, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Talk Great, to you thanks. Soon. Take care. Bye bye. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week, and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I, I know that there are millions of other shows, and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend. Have them tell their friends and then make maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ, can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>